As I told you last week, I did not preach Kadesh Barnea because I was so in awe of God. I got stuck on God in the Psalms. And um, I think it was a good thing. If you haven't heard the sermon, you might want to go out and and listen to it. Um, But based on what we talked about last week, why can you and I as Christians obey the Lord really with a kind of fearless abandon? based on what we talked about last week, why can we actually live our faith as big as we dare? Why can we do Hebrews 11? Why can we count it all joy when the trial comes, as James exhorts us to do in chapter 1 of that great epistle? Why can we greatly rejoice when persecution comes our way, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1? Why can we... Believe and live, Romans 8.28, knowing that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love Him, those called according to His purpose, as we've heard testimony already this evening about. Why can we live what Job lived and still love and worship and hold fast to God? Why can we as Christians face every challenge, fear, doubt, Anxiety, concern, uncertainty, illness, trial, distress, threat, hurt, loss, and do that with fearless assurance. What did we talk about last week? Someone tell me. Why can we do these things? Why can we actually live the Word of God? Why can we do it? Someone tell me. Based on last week. Anybody remember the text last week? Psalm 99, 1-3. The Lord what? The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise His great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. We can do Christianity. We can be a disciple of Christ. Why? Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Beloved, if you believe that, really, I mean, if you really believe that, you take it into the world, you take it into the university, you take it into your office, if you really believe that, you'll never shrink back again. You'll never shrink back from following God. If you just simply believe what He says about Himself, He reigns. He, he reigns. We talked about it last week. He is sovereign. It was in the music tonight. God reigns in every circumstances. Every circumstance, He exercises infinite, absolute, uncontested power and authority in every circumstance. He has no colleague. He has no peer. He has no equal. He rules the courses of the 400 plus billion galaxies as well as the courses of the electron within the single cell and everything in between. God reigns. You heard the testimony tonight. Not a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of my Father, Jesus said. God reigns. This is why we don't have to ever shrink back as Christians. This is why we can do extraordinary things in the world. Because our God is God. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and earth. Psalm 135.6 God says, Isaiah 43.13 I act and who can reverse it? No one. Beloved, no man, 
No group of men, no army, no group of armies, no demon, no group of demons, no army of demons can stay the outstretched harm of Jehovah God. If you believe that, you will live radically different than if you don't believe that. If you believe that, you are, as I say to you so often, you are free. You are free to be to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. You don't have to wring your hands. You don't have to be afraid. Well, what, I, don't, I don't know what He's going to do. I don't know what they're going to do if I, if I do this. I don't know how my family's going to react. I don't know what my boss is going to say. I don't know what my, what my spouse is going to say. I don't know what's going to happen. Beloved, God reigns. God reigns. God reigns in every circumstance. I say it to you all the time. As Christians, we can do all He says because He might be able to get done what He says. He might be able to do what He might be able to do what He says He can do. Right? Wrong. We can do all He says because He will do all He says. <laughs> He's a promise keeper. All you gotta do is read your Bible with only average comprehension skills. He is a promise keeper. He keeps His promises. He can. No one can thwart Him. As the Scripture tells us. So I don't want you to ever forget that He can do all He says because He will do all He says. It's what the Old Testament Jews did not believe at Kadesh Barnea. They didn't believe He was God enough. They didn't believe He was God enough to give them the promised land. Remember what they said? Oh, there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. We can't go up against these people. They wouldn't believe that He could do all He says. They would not believe that He reigned over every obstacle in the promised land. Beloved, do you believe that your God reigns over every obstacle in your life? Do you believe it? Live it. Like we talked about, do you believe your God is the God of Psalm 99, 1-3-3? Do you believe He reigns? Then live like He reigns. You don't have to slink around out in the world and be afraid. You don't have to be a secret agent Christian in the world. There is no such thing, by the way. But many Christians live this way. It's like they're undercover. God's never called anyone to be undercover. We're not supposed to be undercover. <laughs> We're supposed to be living bold lives that proclaim the glory and the divinity <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of Jesus. So as we begin 2013, if you don't need this sermon, I need it. Listen, you know, every year we come back to, to Milan and, and every year the congregation seems a little smaller. You know, and sometimes in my flesh I say, well, maybe I should bring up my resume current and you know, mail it out and see if there's some better opportunity somewhere. But of course, that's in the flesh. And uh, when I get before the Lord, He says, this is where I called you. This is where I called you. This is where I planted you. I've called you to do this thing. You believe I'm God enough? I need this. I need this every year. Every year I come back, after a holiday, I need to be exhorted not to shrink back as the Jews did at Kadesh Barnea, but to go on with God as 
Gideon and those 300 guys did outnumbered 450 to 1 and watched God rout the enemy. You know, God's a promise keeper. God shows up. So we don't have to be afraid at our personal Kadesh Barnea in 2013. Why? Because our God is the God of Psalm 99. We, don't, we can obey the Lord when He calls us out like He called out Gideon. <clears throat> Why? Because our God reigns. Oswald Chambers was a 19th century Christian minister. He said this, God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe and obey, but too often we begin to debate with Him. Anybody ever debate with God? That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide, yes, for God or against God. That's really what's at stake in obedience, beloved. We have to decide for God or against God. I believe He's the God of Psalm 99. I believe it. My situation looks questionable, maybe impossible, but my God reigns. Amen? My God reigns. Beloved God, as I told you last week, He expects you to live out in the world like He reigns. That's what He's called us to do and to be. There's that great book that we studied just last semester, Don't Waste Your Life, by John Piper. The young adults studied that great book. And he says obedience is always risk. There's no such thing as riskless Christianity. Piper's right. It's always risk. And he says it's always right to take that risk because Jesus is magnified in the risk. When the world sees you obeying Christ at great cost to yourself, they realize, man, there's something about that. There's something real there. This is not simply religion. This is not simply heart-dead, brain-dead dogma. There's something going on in that person's life for them to live like they live. Beloved, that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The preeminent risk for those who profess to be Christians is unrisky disobedience. Unrisky disobedience is far more risky than risky obedience. We're going to see that in the text tonight. You guys remember, what happened to the, the Jews that would not obey the Lord at Kadesh Barnea? Anybody remember what happened to them? They died in the wilderness, didn't they? They turned their back on God and they died in the wilderness. So, my New Year's resolution for 2013 is I will go with God whatever that looks like in 2013. I will go with God. And my challenge to you is to decide for God this year like you never have before. Extravagant, radical, go with Jesus obedience, and you can because He is the God of Psalm 99. Let's quickly look at in the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 13. We should turn with me there, and I'll, we're just going to go through some, some uh, text pretty quick. You guys know the story. God has brought uh, the Jews out of Egypt. Um, with great power. There are two million Jews. They've arrived at the, the border of the Promised Land. It's a place known as Kadesh Barnea. Numbers 13, 1 and 2. God says to Moses, says, send out some guys and spy out the land that I'm going to give you. Did you notice it's a brand new promise? God's been promising this land for over 500 years. He gives them a fresh promise. He actually says, this is a done deal if you'll do it. 
It's always this way with God. <laughs> it's a done deal if you will obey. It's a done deal if you will act. Because our God reigns. He is the God of Psalm 99. Let me just summarize uh, verses 17 to 20. God says, send up the, the spies. Let them go up there and see what the land is like. Verse 18, let them see, let's see if they're strong or weak, and whether there are few or many. Is the land good or bad? How are the cities? Are they open camps or are they fortified? How is the land? Is it fat or <coughs> lean? So God tells Moses to send the spies. He's doing what He does in every believer's life. He's driving them to faith. Why does God drive His people to faith? Why does He not just let His people sit in church and get fat, dumb, and happy? Why, why does God always drive His people to faith? And I mean that in a spiritual sense. Why does He do it? Anybody know? You have, pardon me? Okay, excellent answer. What does the Bible say? What is it that pleases God? For us to sit in church. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He's always going to push you into faith. If you're not being pushed into faith, you're not listening. You're not on the heels of Christ anymore. If you don't have some tension in your life with respect to faith, you may not be following Him just now. He's always going to push you to faith. It pleases Him when you believe that He is. It pleases Him when you believe that He's good. Hebrews 11, 6, I say it to you all the time. God says, go spy out the land. See what this project's going to take. <clears throat> you want to walk with me? Go evaluate the obstacles. Assess the risk and count the cost. He wants them to know that the land is good. It flows with milk and honey. But He also wants them to know they cannot do this without Him. You can't be a Christian without God. You can be religious without God. You can come to church without God. But you can't be a Christian without God. You can't be a real Christian without God. Because He will always call you to the place that you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. It's Kadesh Barnea. It's Gideon. This is where God calls His people. Don't be surprised when He calls you to do something you can't do. If you could do it, He would call someone else. He's going to call you if you can't do it. Because you need Him. And you need to have faith that He will show up. And He will keep His promises. God is always driving His people to faith. God says, go and see if I'm God enough for you. It's what He tells them. It's what He tells you. It's what He tells me. Jim, am I God enough for you to stay in Milan another year? Yeah! <laughs> the answer is always yes to that question. If God asks you that question, and He will ask you that question. In every single arena of your life, He will ask you this question. Am I God enough to reign in that area of your life? In your marriage, in your money, in your church, in your sin? Will you give it to me? God says He reigns. We're just supposed to believe it and act upon it. Jesus Christ, when He says, follow Me, He wants us to know we can't do it. He 
if you think you can do it, you haven't understood what's at stake in Christianity. If you think you can do it in your own strength, you've not yet understood what the call of Jesus is. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Oswald Chambers again. <clears throat> Faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out <coughs> even when and where I can't see anything. Are you willing to do that? You know, most Christians, they have to cross every T and dot every I before they'll ever step out and obey God. I, li I think Oswald Chambers is right. Sometimes you can't see anything. Faith is not intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. Even when I can't see the way ahead, are we uh, debating whether <clears throat> we should go take a step of faith in Christ or whether we should wait until we can clearly see how to do uh, the thing He's called us to do. And then He says this, it's my favorite thing a man has ever written not in the Bible. You hear me say it a lot. Simply obey the Lord. Someone tell me. With glad, reckless joy. Doesn't that sound right? Isn't that the way Christians ought to live? Christians who believe in the God of Psalm 99? Our God reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The earth shakes at the great name of our God. The mountains melt like wax. As I read to you earlier, beloved, what are you afraid of? You don't need to be afraid. Your God reigns. Man, isn't it great to worship a God that reigns? A God who is God. A God who is competent. He's a competent God. I love to say it like that. It's a little unique. He's a competent God. If He's called you to a thing, He'll empower you to do the thing. And if we perish, we perish. Yes? If we perish, we perish. It's very much better to be with Jesus. It's a win-win proposition. If we survive, praise God. If we perish, praise God. We're with God. It's like I told you last week. It's like cheating. It's like cheating. Beloved, Kadesh Barnea, God will bring you to repeated places where you must act. You must believe Him. You must trust Him. You must believe that He is God and you must act. Verses 25 to 33 here. The spies go up and they come back and they give a report. Verse 28. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 33. He said, we're like grasshoppers before these people. We can't go up there. But what does Caleb say? Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, we should by all means go up. Now why is Caleb so confident? Because he's a great warrior, right? Why is Caleb so confident? Someone tell me. Because he believes that his God is the God of Psalm 99. His God reigns over the giants in the promised land. How about your God? Does your God reign over the giants in your life? I don't know what your giant is. We all have different giants. Does your God reign? Of course He reigns. Will you live like He reigns? That's up to you. Will you live like He reigns? That's up to you. They basically say the spies by, by their words and by their, their subsequent inaction, God, you're not God enough to keep your promise. What an awful way to live. To claim that we are lovers and followers of Christ. And then we're afraid to do what He says. I said it to you last week. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Beloved, God expects His people to live like He's God enough to keep His 
promises. This happens a lot, I think, in the church. Many who profess to be Christians, they come to the crisis, they come to the test, and they refuse to believe that God reigns. And by their inaction, they're saying that God's just not God enough for me. I can't trust this God. I know what He says, but I don't really believe it. That's what our inaction says. So let me ask you, how will you respond in 2013 when you reach your Kadesh Barnea? Some of you may be standing at Kadesh Barnea right now in one sphere of your life. I exhort you, go in. Go in. Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. He will show up. We talked about it last week. Jesus comes to His people in obedience. It's the disclosure He promises. John 14.21, I will disclose Myself to you. So, I challenge you, go in. Go in in 2013. Caleb says, by all means we should go up. By all means. There's no question here. This is not a legitimate question. We should go up. Our God is God. I want to be Caleb when I grow up, man. Don't you? <laughs> I want to have a church of Caleb's, man. A church of Caleb's. Verse 14, or pardon me, chapter 14, 1 through 4. The people, um, they won't believe. They impugn the character of God. Guess what the people want to do? And this is effectively what someone who professes to be a Christian does when they shrink back from following God. What do they want to do? Remember? Oh, let's go be slaves again. Let's go be slaves again. Being in slavery is so much better. Let's get a leader and go back and be slaves. Back in Egypt. And I want to say to you, that's what our life will be if we decide against God. Egypt is slavery, but it's safe. Right? Slavery is safe. Egypt is bondage, but at least they understood it. Egypt is meaningless, but at least it was manageable. How many Christians live like this? It's safe, and it's manageable. You know, when you start talking to many in the modern church about taking a risk for Christ, um, it's like they can't hear it. You know the, the old expression, like a deer in the headlights? It's like, I can't hear that. Beloved, the call of God is full of risk. There's no such thing as being a risk-averse Christian. Not in a biblical sense. Anyway. So the people, they say, let's go back. Let's go back and be slaves. Instead of believing, trusting, and obeying God and living an abundant, God-exalting, God-filled, God-sized life, they say, let's go be slaves. So what will you do in 2013 at the hard spot, at the risky spot, at the costly spot? Will you go with God? Listen to what Caleb says. Verses 6-9. through I'm just going to summarize it for you. Caleb and Joshua, they say, listen, we ought to go up. God's bringing us to a good place. Isn't that what God's always doing? Even if it's a hard place, He's bringing us to a good place. And He'll bring us to that good place if we will just believe Him. Caleb and Joshua say, God will give us what He's promised. 
Beloved, that's what He'll do in your life as you trust Him. They say God will turn our fear into our prey. I love this one. Has God ever taken your fear and turned it into your prey? He's done this in my life. I don't have time to talk about it. If you want to ask me about it, I'll, I'll share that with you. This is what God does. He takes your fear and He turns it into your prey. This is a beautiful thing. I love this. I love this. And Joshua Caleb said, the thing that I want to say to you tonight, the Lord is with you. Do not fear. What is the most oft-repeated commandment in the Bible? You guys know this, right? Do not fear. Guess why? Why would the most oft-repeated commandment be in the Bible? One, because we tremble uh, like frightened children at the sign of any uh, risk or difficulties but because He's the God of Psalm 99. Do not fear. I am the God of Psalm 99. I reign. Let the peoples tremble. I am enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Joshua and Caleb, they call what, what, what this is. This is, this, is uh, this is rebellion. God sees it that way. I want you to notice here in verse 11. Numbers 14, God says, how long will these people, someone tell me what your text says, how long will these people what? Spurn me! How long will they not believe I'm God enough? I looked at some other translations there. It says, other trans, English translations say, how long will they despise me, reject me, provoke me, ignore me, have contempt for me? This is how God sees it. And I'll let you read the rest of Numbers 14 and you, you, you know the end of the story. You know what the high cost in deciding against God is. They died in the wilderness. Now let's, let's change gears. We're going to turn over real quick over to um, Judges chapter 6. It's about three books over. We're going to look at this great, this great story of Gideon. It's one of my favorite in the Bible, Gideon highlights the exhilaration of obeying God with glad, reckless joy. And every January, I want to stand there with Gideon's 300 guys, outnumbered 450 to 1. I want to stand there with them, and I want to watch God rout the enemy. You know, when you read these biblical accounts, beloved, you need to put yourself in their sandals. Do you, do you put yourself in the text? Do you feel their fear? Do you feel their uh, exhilaration? Beloved, we need to be in the text. You need to put yourself in the text. You're Gideon. Okay? You're Gideon. Every January, I want to watch what God does. I want to see, I want to see what a promise keeper He is. And I told you this last week, and I tell you this probably at least once a month. How you live, how you respond to the Word of God is a commentary on what you believe to be true about God. So, We'll see what Gideon and his men believe to be true about God. And I don't know where God is challenging you tonight. I don't know where your test of trust is. I don't know where it's hard for you or impossible for you. It could be in many different areas of your life. But I know this. You need to trust and obey the Lord. He is the God of Psalm 99, 1-3. What does God do with the impossible? Someone tell me. Whatever he wants. You say, Jim, you don't know how hard my situation is. You don't know how impossible it looks. God reigns. God reigns. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know if this could ever. God reigns, beloved. He reigns. Don't forget it. Don't forget it all year long. God reigns. If you forget it, call me and I'll shout it in your phone. God reigns. Go live it in the world. It'll be your best evangelism. Your lifestyle is your evangelism. Your obedience is your evangelism. So, we're in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, we know the predicament. Israel has rebelled against God. They've not obeyed God. They're under the judgment of God via the Midianites. So we know the situation. That is their predicament. Um, God has given them over because of their disobedience. Verse, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 6, the angel of the Lord, this is a technical term in the Old Testament, this is God, this is God in the flesh. I like to say pre-incarnate Christ. Some theologians will talk about it different. But I believe this is pre-incarnate Christ. It's a theophany. It's an appearance of God. God comes to get in and He sits under the oak tree. And He calls Him... Oh, he calls him a valiant warrior. Gideon is not a valiant warrior. Someone tell me why the Lord is calling Gideon a valiant warrior. Anybody want to guess? Because God's going to turn him into one. I can still remember when God called me to be, an, uh, to be a preacher. I was an accountant. I said, I can't be a preacher. I'm an accountant. And God says, I know you're, you're an accountant. You can't preach. but I will be with you. I will be with you. Have I not sent you, God says? Listen, beloved, you're not what you're going to be yet. You know that, right? If you're a Christian tonight, you're not yet what you're going to be. So don't get all settled in, well, I'm this, I'm that. You may not be this or that. You may be something else when God gets through with you. My point is, you've got to be ready to let God rewrite your resume. Amen? I know a lot of Christians aren't, man. This is who I am. This is what I do. It may be who you are. It may be what you do until God comes and sits under the oak tree and says, O valiant warrior, to you. This is what God does. I love what Matthew Henry says about this. He says, God begins the process of animating Gideon to undertake something. That is great. God comes and He invites Gideon into the Hall of Fame of Faith. He will invite you in too. He's probably invited most of you in. You're invited into the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. You're invited in. This is what God does to His people. He's inviting Gideon into the Hall of Fame of Faith. Let me ask you, will you accept the invitation when it comes? In 2013, no more mediocre expectations, no more comfortable assumptions. I just go with God. Whatever it looks like, whatever the call is, I just go with God. Look at verse 13. Gideon begins to complain. <clears throat> he says, Lord, why has all this stuff happened? Where are all your miracles? Don't you love verse 14? God looks him in the eye and he says, oh, you got a problem with the way things are? You go be my miracle. Don't you love it? Listen, you need to be careful when you complain to the Lord. <laughs> God says, you go do it, Gideon. You go be my miracle. Beloved, you're supposed to be somebody's miracle. You know? God's put you in the little orbit He's put you in. We all have little orbits that we live in. You're in that orbit because He means for you to be a miracle in somebody's life. 
say, well, this problem is it's, 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 it's too big. It's too hard. God says, you be my miracle. Have I not sent you? Have I not sent you? This is what the Lord says to His people. I love, you know, Gideon doesn't respond to this valiant warrior thing. He just lets it fly right on past. He doesn't really want to explore that. It could be... A, you know, it could upset his very safe and secure and, and uh, manageable farming career. He doesn't want to pursue that. But we see that in verse 14, God says, "You," He says, "Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midianite. Have I, from Midian have I not sent you?" And then Gideon starts to give his excuses. He says, verse 15, he says, "Man, he says, how could I do this? I, I'm the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my." in my father's house. How is this possible? I love what John MacArthur says. He says, man, uh, most Christians too often we assign our own feebleness to God. God will call us to do something impossible, which He will call you to do. It's inevitable. It will happen. He will call you to do something that you don't think you can do. He's going to call you to do something that's not on your resume. You know that, right? And you're going to say, God, this is not on my resume. He'll say, I know. I reign. Go. This is how God deals with His people. He's going to blow up your resume. God always blows up His people's resumes. This is what He does. <laughs> you need to be ready and willing and able and prepared. You need to have God's Word in your heart ready to go. When God calls you to be a valiant warrior, when your time comes, you need to be ready to go. Don't assign your own feebleness to God. Listen, when God comes into your life, beloved, and He calls you to do the hard thing, you're not supposed to look in the mirror. Who are you supposed to look at? God. You're supposed to look at God. You're supposed to look at the God of Psalm 99. You say, yes, I can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God is the God of Psalm 99. He reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. That's my God. Gideon thinks he's a farmer. It's a good thing. Being a farmer is a good thing. But that's not all he is. He's a value warrior. I don't know what you think you are, but you're a lot more in the eyes of God. My point is, don't tell God no because you're in this box. God will blow up your box. God will get you out of the box so you can be His valiant warrior in whatever arena He calls you to. Verse 14, God says, Have I not sent you? I love it. Go be my miracle, He says. Have I not sent you? Gideon doesn't mind complaining. He doesn't mind talking about what needs to be done. He doesn't mind giving his opinion. But then God says, you go be my miracle. Have I not sent you? In verse 16, look what He says. But the Lord said to him, surely, this changes everything. Surely I will what? Someone tell me what it says from the text. God says, surely I will be with you. This is always true, beloved. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. We talked about it last week. God is not only with us, He's in us. And someone tell me, anybody remember? He's for us. 
Do you believe it? Will you go out in the world and live it? Gideon, showing the weakness of his faith, asked for three signs. This is not the best part of the story. Um, God graciously gives him the signs he asks for, but I want to parenthetically comment that it's not normative for New Testament Christians to to uh, be asking for signs to confirm uh, God's presence and to confirm the, com- the, 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 uh, the commandments of God to us. What do we have that Gideon did not have? Someone, there are two things we have that Gideon did not have as New Testament believers. We have a completed canon of Scripture. Gideon did not have this. And we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Gideon did not have this. My point is, we don't need to be asking God for signs. What does Jesus say? Does, does faith come by signs? How does faith come? Someone tell me. By the Word of God. Faith comes by the Word of God. Here are your signs. These are your signs. Believe them. Study them. Live them. Appropriate them. These are your signs. Just take God at His Word. Go. And be who God has purposed for you to be. Just... Quickly, you guys know the story. Gideon sent out the messengers. I'm over, let's see, over in chapter 6, uh, verse 35, he sent out messengers uh, to, um, to gather a, uh, an army to himself. 32,000 men show up. Chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord says, you got too many guys. Now, why, why does God say you have too many guys? We're going to find out that there are 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. Why is 32,000 too many guys? Anybody remember? God says you'll boast. God says you'll boast. You'll think you did it. Listen, this is one thing you learn, and some of you who are active in, in, in uh, obeying the Lord, you know, He does it. <laughs> he gets the glory, and we get the joy. So God said to Gideon, you have too many guys. It's four to one, but it's too many guys. You boast about it. Verse 2. So, he says, tell everyone who's afraid to go home and 22,000 guys bail. So there's 10,000 guys left. It's 13 to one. God says you still got too many guys. Verse 4, God, God says that uh, He weeds it down to 300 men. He says, I will give you victory with the 300 men. It's 450 to one. <laughs> it's impossible. Right? It's just like your situation. It's impossible. But our God reigns. Our God reigns. He's driving Gideon and the men to to faith. He wants them to understand that He is the God of Psalm 99. You know, Gideon has received several signs and a couple of Verbal assurances. What I'm wondering about is that 300, that 300th man. What does he know? You guys know the plan. It's not an awe-inspiring military plan. They have a torch and a pitcher, and they have a team cheer. This is all they have. They're going to go down, and they're going to face this army, this well-armed army, with a torch, a pitcher, and a trumpet. I'm sorry, they also have the trumpet. And a team cheer. Would you do it? 
the, the arm, the, these guys, they have real swords and spears and bows and arrows and knives and stuff. Would you go down? Do you feel, can you feel the tension? I mean, beloved, you need to feel the tension. You need to be in their shoes. Oswald Chambers is right. There are moments in our lives when we discover who we really are and what we really believe. Your moment may come in 2013. I've had several of these in my Christian life where I had to stand there and give testimony to Christ at great cost. It will happen. And my exhortation to you is obey with glad, reckless joy. Obey with glad, reckless joy. We discover who we really are. God knows this. This is why God brings us to these places. We discover who we really are, what we really believe. We either go with God or we go back to Egypt. So this 300th man, they've got a torch, a pitcher, a trumpet, and a team cheer. Oh, he's got one more thing. What else has he got? He's got the God of Psalm 99. Beloved, we can do all things. Not some things, not most things. All things. We can do all things in Christ who strengthens. Uh, you, guys, you know the rest of the story? God routes the enemy. Chapter 7, verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 12. And what I want to say to you, can you imagine the joy? These men, they, they, they believed through their natural human fear. We all have natural human fear. I'm challenging you to let God reign over your natural human fear. These men did this and they watched God rout the enemy. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the joy in their heart, beloved? You were built for joy. You're built for joy. It happens in obedience. It happens when it looks impossible and you still obey. <laughs> it happens when it looks risky and you obey. It happens when it's costly and you obey. Because God comes. John 14, 21. God does what only God can do. They became God's miracle. Don't you love it? They became God's miracle. You're supposed to be in Milan to be God's miracle. No, Jim, it's because of my job. No, it's not because of your job. It's not because you're getting an education. You may, that may be happening on the periphery, but your real job here is to make much of Christ. That's your real job. The rest is just to pay the bills. Your real job is to bring glory and honor to this great God, to be His miracle in some maybe even invisible way in someone else's life. Maybe in this church. Maybe at the university. Maybe at the office. God's brought us here to be a miracle. His miracle. So it's my exhortation to you in 2013. I'm just going to repeat that great course we, we opened with um, tonight. I will follow. You guys know that great chorus. I love it. Uh, Chris Tomlin's song. He sings to God. He says, wherever you go, I'll go. Will you? 
He says, where you stay, God, I'll stay. That's, that's for me. That's for me. Where you stay, God, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I'll follow you. Who you love, I will love, he says. How you serve, I will serve, he says. If this life I lose, I will follow you. This is biblical Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. So I exhort you, 2013, go with God like you've never go, have gone with God before. No restrictions, no constraints. Go with God. Because your God is the God of Psalm 99. Your God reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Your God is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Obey the Lord this year with glad, reckless joy. Let's pray together. Lord, I, as always, I thank You for this reminder. I thank You for this exhortation. I thank You how You call us to look past circumstance and emotion and anxiety and concern and distress and trial and illness and hurt and loss. To look past all of it and to see a reigning sovereign God working good in all things. For those who love You, those called according to Your purpose, thank You, great God. Thank You for the invitation into the Hall of Fame of Faith. I pray that each of us in here will be ready and will obey with glad, reckless joy. I pray that we will magnify Christ like we have never magnified Him before in this new year. I pray that we will not shrink back in this new year. I pray we will go because You are who You are. We can do all You say because You will do all You say. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen.